how to be thankful when you're depressed. Well, in her best-selling book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom tells the true story of how during World War II, she and her family resisted the Nazi occupation in the Netherlands. When the Nazi Gestapo began rounding up Jews in Amsterdam and sending them off to concentration camps, Corey and her family risked their lives by helping Jews hide and escape. As committed Christians, Corey and her family knew that they couldn't stand by and do nothing while Jewish people were rounded up and sent off to concentration camps. During the first four years that the Nazis occupied the Netherlands, it's estimated that Corey Ten Boom and her family helped to rescue 800 Jews. But on February 28, 1944, the German secret police raided Corey's house where she was hiding six Jews and resistance workers. The Gestapo didn't find those hidden Jews in her house, but they did arrest Corey, her father, her brother, and two of her sisters. Corey's brother and one of her sisters were soon released, but in September of 1944, Corey Ten Boom and her older sister Betsy were transferred to one of the worst concentration camps in all of Germany. The concentration camp was Ravensbrück. Well, Corey and Betsy were disgusted when they were forced to sleep in the the barracks that the the female uh, POWs were kept in. And those that were forced into those barracks, Corey was just disgusted by the conditions in there, particularly because those female barracks were infested with fleas. When Corey began to complain, her older sister Betsy insisted that they give thanks. And Betsy reminded Corey of what God's word says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, with some persuasion, Corey finally joined her sister in thanking God For the fleas. Well, several months passed. The two sisters expressed their surprise that the camp guards had never come back into their barracks to harass or to rape the women, which was common in these concentration camps. But the guards never came inside their barracks. And they noted that every night they had been leading other ladies in the barracks in a study of the Bible that they had smuggled into that concentration camp. Corey and her sister Betsy would open God's word every night and do a Bible study. And over those few months that they were able to do that, many of those women in those barracks gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And it was then that Carrie realized, excuse me, that Corey realized the very fleas which she had so despised had actually been a blessing. God had sent the fleas to keep away the cruel guards and pave the way for many prisoners to find hope and salvation in Christ. Wow. (laughs) That really gets me thinking. It, It really makes me wonder. If fleas in a concentration camp are actually a blessing from God, which blessings have I missed because I've mistakenly thought they were a curse? 
It's a good question. Could getting turned down for that job I wanted actually have been a blessing? Could having COVID actually have been a blessing? Could that car accident actually have been a blessing? Could living paycheck to paycheck for so many years actually have been a blessing? Could having Gavin Newsom remain as governor of California for another four years actually be a blessing? Well, if Corey Ten Boom can thank God for fleas, it's then I'd better start thinking and thanking God for the many painful and annoying things in my life that He is working together for my good. I should thank God that I was turned down for that job. The job I have is so much better for me. I should thank God that I had COVID. It made me sick, but it didn't kill me. I should thank God for that car accident. It could have ended so much worse. I should thank God that I've been living paycheck to paycheck. At least I've been getting paychecks. I should thank God that Gavin Newsom is our governor. He's not the greatest, but it could be a lot worse. Our theme verse this month is 1 Thessalonians 5.18. I want you to say it together with me. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Say it like you mean it. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Well, last Sunday we took a closer look at Second Chronicles chapter 20 and learned from King Jehoshaphat how to be thankful when we're stressed. This morning, we'll take a closer look at Job chapter 1 and learn from Job how to be thankful when we're grieving and depressed. So please open your Bibles once again to Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he also had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Now, Job most likely lived around the same time as Abraham, perhaps around 2000 B.C., so just over 4,000 years ago. He lived in the land of Uz, not to be mistaken with Oz. Uh, Oz is the place where uh, the wonderful wizard lived. Uz is where Job lived. And so where was Uz? Well, Bible scholars and historians aren't certain of where Uz existed, but let's put the map on the screen. This is their best guess. And so if you look in the upper left corner of the map, you see the Mediterranean Sea up there uh, high on the map is the Dead Sea. So just to the west of the Dead Sea was Judah and then north of that, the main part of Israel. Jerusalem was just, just northwest of the, the tip of the Dead Sea there. 
And so we believe Uz was several hundred miles southeast of Israel. And so it would have been in that Arabian Peninsula, that northern part of that Arabian Peninsula. So once again, a, a few hundred miles southeast of what would eventually become the nation of Israel. And so Job wasn't an Israelite. The Israelites didn't even exist yet. And he didn't live in the Holy Land. The Holy Land hadn't even been made holy yet. Job was just an ordinary guy who worshipped and served an extraordinary God. According to verse 1, Job was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. I want you to see how Job is described in a few other English translations. And so we get a, a fuller understanding of the Hebrew words used here to describe his righteousness. The Holman Christian Standard says it this way. Job was a man of perfect integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. That's pretty good. How about this next one? If we look at the contemporary English version, it says it this way. He was a truly good person who respected God and refused to do evil. And then finally, the message paraphrases it this way. He was honest inside and out. Job was a man of his word, who was totally devoted to God and hated evil with a passion. So you get the idea. He was a godly, blameless, upright man. He feared God. And he shunned evil. According to verses 2 and 3, this man of integrity who was totally devoted to God had ten kids, seven sons, and three daughters. And Job was rich. In his day, wealth wasn't measured by the size of your bank account or, or by your stock portfolio. Wealth was measured in land, in livestock, and in servants. And he had a lot of all of those. By that measure, Job was the richest man in Arabia. He owned 7,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep. 3,000 camels. 500 yoke of oxen. Remember, two oxen make a yoke, so it means he had 1,000 oxen. And he had 500 donkeys and a large number of servants. But despite his wealth, God was his number one priority. And Job took his role as the spiritual leader of his family very seriously. His greatest desire was for his whole family to honor and obey God. Even after his kids had grown up and left the house, he still offered burnt offerings on their behalf, asking God to forgive their sins, even in cases when Job wasn't for certain that they actually had sinned. Well, let's pick up. In verse 6 to see what happens next. Still in Job chapter 1. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There was no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. He is a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. 
but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well. Very well then. Everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. I don't want to spend too much time on these verses because we just studied them a few weeks ago in our Wednesday night Bible study. But I do want to draw your attention to this truth. Nothing can come into my life that hasn't first passed through the filter of God's love for me. Let me say that again. Nothing can come into my life that hasn't first passed through the filter of God's love for me. Many Christians don't know this. They think that Satan and his minions are running amok down here on earth doing whatever the heck they please. But the truth is, Satan doesn't have free reign to do whatever he wants. God actually has him on a leash. God gives him limits. So one of the most important takeaways from Job chapter 1 is that unlike God, Satan's power is limited. He has to get God's permission to do his dirty work. Everything he does to make Job's life a living hell has to first pass through God's screening process. Now, you might think that opens an uncomfortable can of worms because a non-Christian will draw the conclusion that if God allows Satan to wreak havoc on Job's life, then God must therefore be cruel and unjust. At first glance, it would seem so. But by the time we get to the end of Job's story, we discover that the opposite is actually true. In the long run, what Satan intends for evil God uses for Job's ultimate good. God miraculously transforms Satan's curses into blessings. Isn't that just like God? Through it all, God is at work for the good. He makes sure every bit of Job's pain has a glorious purpose. Picking up in verse 13. Notice what happens next. One day... When Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans, they formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and and they carried them off. They put the servants to the sword. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and your daughters were feasting and and, and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a, a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them and they're dead. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Wow. 
In a single day, in a single day, Job's whole world came crashing down. His world comes crashing down around him. Satan is convinced that the only reason Job serves God so faithfully is because Job's life is so cushy. It's so comfortable. It's so easy. It's so blessed. I want you to listen to how the message paraphrases Satan's challenge to God a few verses earlier, back in verses 9 through 11. Here's how the message paraphrases. Satan retorted, Do you think Job does all that out of sheer goodness of his heart? Why, no one ever had it so good. You pamper him like a pet. Make sure nothing bad ever happens to him or his family or his possessions. Bless everything he does. He can't lose. But what do you think would happen if you reached down and took away everything that is his? He'd curse you right to your face. That's what he'd do. Well, that's a pretty apt paraphrase of the message that Satan had conveyed to God. The challenge that he had thrown down. Satan is convinced that if Job were to have all his wealth suddenly taken from him, he would curse God in a heartbeat. So Satan gets to work to prove he's right. Job owned 1,000 oxen and 500 donkeys. Satan incites the Sabaeans to form a raiding party and steal them. And while they're at it, they kill all Job's ranchers but one. Job owned 7,000 sheep. At the same time, the Sabaeans are ransacking Job's oxen and donkeys. Satan causes some sort of freak lightning storm to burn up all Job's sheep along with every shepherd but one. Job owned 3,000 camels. While his oxen and donkeys are being stolen and his sheep are being incinerated, Satan tempts the Chaldeans to form three raiding parties to steal all Job's camels and kill all the camel herders but one. And if that wasn't bad enough, Job had ten grown kids. Seven sons, three daughters. And Satan stirs up some sort of freak dust devil, it appears, to sweep in from the desert and level the house where all ten of his kids were eating. The roof collapses and all ten of Job's kids are crushed to death. If you think back over your lifetime, you can probably think of at least one or two times when someone delivered some news to you that absolutely devastated you. For many of us, it was 9-11. You probably remember watching on the TV screen as the events were unfolding, planes flying into the World Trade Center towers, and your heart dropped and you were devastated by what you were seeing. And you'll never forget it. There's no way you can erase those images from your head. You know where you were and what you were doing when you were first given that devastating news. For others of us, maybe it was the day you were told by one of your family members that someone you love had tragically been killed. For others of us, maybe it was the day we were handed divorce papers or the day our doctor told us it's cancer. 
We've all received some devastating news at some point in our lives. But it would be hard to imagine, I think, how horrible it must have been for Job receiving back-to-back-to-back-to-back devastating news. Four different messengers leveling more devastating news upon him. And the devastating news had gone from bad to worse. It was a living nightmare. And you and I need to know how this blameless and upright man who feared God and shunned evil handled that devastating news and the depression that came on the heels of it. I want you to see how Job responds beginning in verse 20. At this, Job got up. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Wow. God's message had come loud and clear. Satan, if you take Job into your hands, I believe he will remain faithful. Satan didn't believe it. Satan was convinced that if he came at Job with everything he had and took everything Job owned away from him, he would curse God in a heartbeat. But that's not at all what happens, is it? Job's first reaction is to do what was customary in his culture to do when someone was overcome with sadness. He tears his robe. He shaves his head. And what does he do next? What he does, it's absolutely remarkable. It says in verses 20 and 21 that he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised, or as some translations put it, blessed be the name of the Lord. And as chapter 1 draws to a close, the writer of Job offers this beautiful commentary in all this. Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Satan provoked Job to stand up and shake his fist at God. But instead, Job fails, excuse me, Job falls to the ground and he worships God. Satan provoked Job to resent God for taking away his wealth. But instead, Job thanks God for blessing him with all that stuff in the first place. Satan provoked Job to curse God, but instead Job blesses and praises God. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on Job, makes this excellent point. This is a deep point. I want you to really give it some thought. Matthew Henry writes, Job does not say the Lord gave and the Sabaeans and Chaldeans have taken away. God made me rich and the devil has made me poor. Instead, Job says, he that gave has taken. And for that reason, he has nothing to say because God did it. He that gave all may take away what and when and how much 
he pleases. Isn't that good? What a remarkable man Job was. As the grief sweeps over him like a flood, he doesn't waste his time and energy trying to figure out whose fault it is. Who he should blame. Uh, Those darn Sabaeans. Boy, I'd like to get my hands on them. Uh, Those Chaldeans. Ooh, if I had an army, I'd wipe out every last one of them. And that darn devil. I can't stand that devil. I hate him. I'd like to give him a piece of my mind. There's none of that, is there? You see, Job had a remarkable theocentric view of life. That's a fancy way of saying Job believed God was at the center of his life. So blessings in his life were from God. But when blessings were taken away, that was equally from God. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. That's his Right. What a beautiful, powerful perspective on suffering and loss. God has the right to give what he wants, when he wants, and how much he wants. And when he gives, he should be praised. And the Lord has the right to take what he wants, when he wants, and how much he wants. And when he takes, he should still be praised. If God's taking inconveniences me, so what? So what? If God's taking makes my life harder, so what? So be it. If God's taking absolutely devastates me, that's His right. And it doesn't change the fact that He is good. He is just. And He is worthy of my praise. Job's world came crashing down around him and the way he handled it was absolutely remarkable. Especially when you consider... That over the next 36 chapters, the evidence is pretty clear. Job experienced a deep, deep depression. I did a little research this last week. I wanted to give you a quick summary of some of the symptoms of depression, just so we can cross-check with what we read later in the book of Job to see if Job was actually in a state of what a psychologist today would call clinical depression. And so according to the MayoClinic.org, a pretty respected site because the Mayo Clinic is an excellent hospital, here are six of the most common symptoms of depression. Number one, feelings of sadness, tearfulness or hopelessness. Number two, angry, outbursts, irritability or frustration, even over small matters. Number three, loss of interest or pleasure in most or all normal activities. Number four, sleep disturbances, including insomnia or sleeping too much. Number five, tiredness and lack of energy. So even small tasks take extra effort. And number six, reduced or increased appetite, weight loss or weight gain. Many of you who have dealt with depression in the past can relate with these six symptoms. And you look back on times that you might have been depressed or some of you, maybe even you're in the midst of that today and you realize I'm checking several off this list. I'm dealing with some of these right now. Well, as you read the book of Job, I think you'll agree that Job has every one of these six symptoms. Every one of them. Here are just a few quick examples. Many Christians have memorized John 3.16, but I bet you haven't ever memorized Job 3.16. You know what Job 3.16 says? 
Job is saying this in the midst of a complaint. In Job 3.16, Job says, Why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? Just that by itself shows this guy was pretty despondent. He's pretty depressed. You go a few chapters further into chapter 6, and Job 6, verses 1 through 3, Job says, If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. How about Job 6, verses 6 and 7? He says, Is tasteless food eaten without salt? Or is there flavor in the white of an egg? I refuse to touch it. Such food makes me ill. He was sick to his stomach. He didn't even want to eat. Job 7, verse 4, when I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on and I toss till dawn. He's clearly dealing with insomnia. Job 10, verse 1, Job flat out says, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. There's no doubt about it. Job was depressed. Deeply depressed, but somehow he was still able to be thankful. I want to share with you three steps to being thankful when you're grieving or depressed. How can we be full of thanks to God when we're down in the dumps, when we're discouraged, when it feels like our whole world has been crashing down around us, when we're grieving, when we're depressed? Well, Here are three steps I want to share with you right from Job chapter 1, verse 21. Step number one, look back. Notice what Job says there in verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb. First of all, Job looks back. He looks back. In Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul writes, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Job says, I look back. Paul says, I I don't look back. Which is it that we should do? Well, really, we should do both. We should do both. You see, one of Satan's schemes to get you off the narrow road to heaven is to throw your past failures back in your face. It's one of Satan's schemes. He does it all the time. He'll throw your past back in your face. Ah, you can't do it. You're a failure. You've sinned so many times. God could never use you. You remember what you did. You're good for nothing. God couldn't forgive you. God couldn't love you. God couldn't give you grace and mercy. You're too much of a disgrace. He throws our past back in our faces. And so the Apostle Paul says, I forget what's behind I stop dwelling on it. I stop fixating on it. And I press on toward the finish line that he has for me. And so Paul urges us to stop focusing on our past failures. But Job urges us to focus on God's past blessings. Amen? So we shouldn't fixate on our past failures. But at times we should fixate on God's past blessings. You see the difference? When you and I are depressed, our tendency is to have tunnel vision. We become consumed with the thoughts of today's misery. So like Job, we must pull the blinders off 
And remember that we came into this world with nothing. We came into this world naked. So everything I've had in my possession above and beyond my birthday suit has been a gift from God. Amen. It's all I had when I got here. Just my birthday suit. So everything I've had since then was a gift from God, a gracious gift from God. My clothes, my food, my job, my car, my home, my whatever. All a gracious gift from God. So when I'm grieving and discouraged and depressed, I need to remind myself of the wonderful ways God has provided for me in the past. Because it'll help perk me up to understand, as God provided for me in the past, so too will he provide for me now and also tomorrow. Step one is to look back. Job said, naked I came. From my mother's womb. Step two. Look ahead. He next said. Naked. I will depart. When we are down in the dumps. Because our identity was stolen. And our hot water heater is busted. And our car was repossessed. We need to remember. That when we die. We won't be able to take it with us anyway. Sooner or later. It's not going to be in our possession anymore. As many of you know, about three weeks ago, our church had our trailer stolen. We had a box trailer that we were using every single week when we were meeting at the school more centrally located in Victorville. And so we had uh, that parked out in front uh, front of the church building. And about three weeks ago, someone came in the middle of the night, cut off the locks and hooked it to their trailer hitch and took off with it. And inside that trailer were all our road signs that we put out on Sunday mornings to advertise our services. Inside that trailer was our portable baptistry that we have available to take wherever it's needed to baptize someone that can't come to the building. Inside that trailer were a bunch of chairs and some sound equipment cases. And so what a huge inconvenience it was as this trailer was stolen and thousands of dollars worth of stuff that for the most part is useless to whoever stole it. We no longer have it. And, and there's part of me over the past few weeks that's wanted to wring the neck of that guy that came and stole the trailer and all the stuff in it from our church. But God has reminded me that one of these days, all that stuff would have been passed on to someone else anyway. We couldn't take it with us. It just so happens that those things were taken a lot earlier than we had anticipated in a way And by a person that we didn't anticipate would take it. Oh, well, praise God. (laughs) It was going to go somewhere else anyway. Listen to what the Greek philosopher Epictetus had to say about losing possessions. Now, this guy wasn't a Christian, but what he says here is so deep. And I I want you to pay attention to this. Epictetus writes, I can't even pronounce his name right, but deep stuff. When thou art deprived of any comfort, suppose a child taken away by death, or a part of thy estate lost. Say not, I have lost it, but say, I have restored it to the rightful owner. But thou wilt object, he's a bad man that has robbed me. To which I answer, what is it to thee by what hand he that gives remains What he gave. Wow, that is pretty deep. What a wonderful perspective. 
If you're experiencing depression because something you value has been taken from you, this is the perspective that will help you weather the storm. This is the perspective that can help you be thankful. God gave it to me in the first place. And sooner or later, he was going to pass it on to someone else. So regardless of who went, who it went to and how it got to them, I'm going to thank God for the time that I had it. I was never the owner. I was simply the manager of that item for a short time. So thank you, Jesus. Isn't that a powerful perspective? How about step number three? When you're down in the dumps, depressed, discouraged, grieving, and you want to be thankful. Step number three is this. Look up. Job said the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. First, he looked back. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Then he looked ahead and naked I shall depart. And then he looked up. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. When you're depressed, The more you look up to God, the better off you'll be. Satan was convinced that when all Job's stuff was taken from him, he would curse God and die. As soon as Job's servant finished saying to him uh, what he said to him, Job, all ten of your kids are dead. We can imagine that Satan wasted no time whispering in Job's ear. God doesn't love you. He hates you. All of this is God's fault. The oxen, the donkeys, the sheep, the camels, it's all God's fault. And your kids would be alive today if it wasn't for God. He did this to you, Job. All of it. He's made you look like a fool for worshiping him all these years. So why don't you just curse God and die? And as he was saying this in Job's ear, aren't you thankful that Job didn't play into Satan's hand. Job wasn't duped by the father of lies. Instead of resenting God and hating God and cursing God, Job fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin. By charging God with wrongdoing. May the same be said of you and me. When we find ourselves in the pit of grief and despair. While most people around us are blaming God. And resenting God. And turning their backs on God. Let's worship and praise God. And through it all. Let's make sure we do not sin by charging God with wrongdoing because in the end it will be crystal clear to everyone that God is faithful, God is just, and God is good. He is always at work for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So even in the pit of despair, we can be thankful because our great and awesome God is at work for the good. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name thanking you for being a God who is always at work. Lord, sometimes it doesn't feel like you are good. Sometimes it may not feel that you are just. 
Sometimes, Lord, our circumstances don't make sense. But, Lord, you haven't called us to make sense out of everything. You've just called us to trust you, to love you, and to obey your word. And, Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to that great command that we're focused on this month. To give thanks in all circumstances. For this is your will for us in Christ Jesus. Teach us to be thankful in all things and even for all things for the glory of God. I thank you, Lord, that nothing that comes my way can come without first passing through your filter of love for me. And I believe with all my heart that one day as I'm with you in heaven, you'll share with me some of the things that you shielded me from that I was oblivious to here on earth. I think I have problems now. I should have seen the problems that would have come my way if you hadn't screened them. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for the way that you love us, the way that you protect us, for the way that you work all things together for our good. Help us, Lord, to continue loving you, trusting you, serving you, and praising you in all circumstances. We believe this is your will for us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're so glad that you were with us today. May you walk in obedience to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you need prayer today, please reach out to us. If we can help in any way, reach out to us. And we want to go through this life with you, hand in hand, arm in arm, together, side by side, rejoicing in the fact that God is at work for the good. Give thanks to him today no matter what your circumstance. God bless you.